Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, this is Monica Packer, and you're listening to About Progress, where we are about progress made practical. Something so strange has been happening recently. I keep seeing my old boyfriend around town. And when I say that, I mean, not for reals. I just keep thinking I see him. And each time I do, my first instinct is to turn around and run away because I do not want to see or talk to him. And it has been hilarious to me because one, why is this happening? And two, that my reaction would be to avoid him altogether. A lot of times we have things from our past that keep popping up, even if we think they are so far removed from our present and something that isn't who we are anymore or what we care about. And yet there's still an effect on us. If you are experiencing that in any degree, whether it's very significant or you just keep having phantom sightings of old uh, boyfriends or girlfriends, (laughs) then you are in the right place. Today, I'm sharing this interview that I did with Jason Van Ruler. He is an amazing therapist who helps people move past their past. In this chat, we're going to talk about various ways that you can work on better understanding how your past is still affecting you and what you can do to move past it. Now, this isn't meant to replace therapy, um, but it is more of an on-ramp to things that you can do on your own 
whether or not you do need therapy in the long run. Jason Van Ruler is the author of Get Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. He's worked with many populations over the years, ranging from persons who are incarcerated to top CEOs, performers, and artists. He has extensive experience as a clinician, coach, and speaker, and operates a multi-state private practice. Jason is known for his ability to relate and connect with his clients and offer hope to those who have felt hopeless. He and his wife and three children love playing games and traveling, and he enjoys cycling, running, music, fly fishing, and all things personal development related. He's super big on Instagram, so we'll make sure to link there so you can benefit from all of his work and the helpful tools that he gives there. And this is going to give you the the best taste of all he has to offer. That's coming up after a quick word for our sponsors. It may not be the beginning of the year anymore, but it is never too late to create your own do something list. I have a fully updated and free training to help you create a DSL to add more fulfillment, more fun, and more you into your 2024. The results have been life-changing for so, so many. The free training includes a guide, me teaching a workshop in either video or audio form, however you learn best, and tons of updated examples of real DSLs from members of our own community. You can find it all by going to aboutprogress.com DSL. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jason Van Ruler, welcome to About Progress. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. As am I. I really love your sense of humor, your storytelling, but more importantly, how you're a person who is teaching about something, not because it's all anecdotal to you. It's not just something you read about and learned about. It's both something you have experienced and helped other people through for many, many years with your professional experience as a therapist. We're going to be talking about people's past today, which has a lot to do with our present and our future and in ways that can be both hard, but also healing and helpful as well as hopeful. So with that, you know, I know you share a lot in your book and as well on your Instagram about your own past, but many people who are listening to this podcast may not be familiar with you yet. So can you tell us a little bit about your own struggles with your past and how it led you to really want to help other people through their past as well. Absolutely. So so the short version of it is um, had a pretty idyllic childhood up until about age eight. And so it was just long enough for me to set a lot of expectations about how I thought things were going to go. 
And at eight, my parents divorced. Um, and that's not an unusual thing. But what was unusual is we went from having this really idyllic childhood to one that was then really volatile. And so uh, mm. we started to move. We'd move two to three times a year. There was addiction, abuse, and trauma. And so just all the things that you wouldn't want to have in a childhood. So it kind of went from this idea of like, it's going to be perfect to it's all going to be terrible. And so um, lived through that and, and went through that and graduated. And I did the thing I think most people do uh, when they leave a childhood they don't want to replicate, which is they make a declaration, right? So I made a declaration that everything was going to be different. I'm, you just can't believe how it's going to look when I'm in charge. And here I go. And unfortunately, as, as much as I really wanted that, I didn't know how to do that. And so, boy, it took me a couple of years before I was right back in the same spot I came from. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of that had to do with just replicating patterns that I had learned in my childhood and in my past and not knowing how to change those. And so that really drove me to this point where I had this realization of I can either deal with my past and maybe change my future or I can keep running from it and I can pretty much yeah. predict how my life is going to go. So interesting that we all have patterns regardless of how safe or how maybe typical our childhoods are, we still have patterns that we may not want to replicate and how they can sneak up in ways that can be both surprising and unsettling. And I was curious about, for you, were there certain points in your adult life that you were like, oh boy, I can see that. I can see that pattern and I can't run away from this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was just, it was kind of, you know, facing all the things that I had sworn off, you know, so I was like, well, I'm going to be super stable and I'm going to get a place to live and I'm going to live there forever. And it was like, why? Like I moved three times in a year. And and why did I do that? Well, because I wasn't managing my money well and I've got a car, but I'm a little afraid it's going to be repossessed because I'm not paying the bill and I'm drinking too much. And I just was doing all these things that felt all too familiar uh, because mm -hmm. I had watched them before. And, and so, so my yeah. gut was kind of like, didn't, didn't you say you weren't going to do this, Jason? Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, you stack up enough of those. Uh, and what you realize is you actually have to decide. It, it is up to you to decide if you're going to continue or not. And I'm sure that decision, just like that initial declaration you might have had as you left your childhood, is is not simple either. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of support. And I want to help people kind of step into what that can actually look like. It's not an overnight process, I'm imagining. Um, so for you, let's start with the belief place, because I think that's a huge part of like when you've made that declaration and suddenly you're slipping back in those patterns, that's where you, you lose a lot of hope because you think this is who I am and you believe a lot of things about yourself and how your life will always be. So what kind of beliefs could they maybe pay attention to um, that are coming up that might be hijacking and sabotaging their ability to move past their past? Yeah, that's a great question. And those beliefs are the things ultimately that really define how we look at the world and our perspective. And so if those beliefs are outdated or they're not accurate or they're out of context, we can have real problems with that because we continue to operate on beliefs that actually aren't helpful to us. And so if we've come from situations where we were maybe told we were too much or we're not enough, mm -hmm. we can start to replicate those things in our life. Um, additionally, we get things in our mind like we can't or we should and and so anytime you're kind of hearing this like you blank and it's a negative thing, that's something to really think about because oftentimes that's not actually even our belief. That's just something we're replicating. 
And so I'll Mm -hmm. say to clients, when you think to yourself, I'm not enough, whose voice is telling you that? And interestingly, a lot of times it's not even theirs, right? They're saying, well, that was my teacher in school that used to say that, or that was a parent. But a lot of times if we're not intentional about the beliefs that we have, we end up replicating all the beliefs we've heard, even if they're no good anymore. And so it pays to take a look at that and just say, like, what is my operating system? How am I choosing to view the world? And is it actually accurate and helpful? And is it kind to who I am? Can you give us a couple examples of beliefs that you have seen come up both for yourself and your clients that are kind of more common? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the two that I probably hear the most are I, I'm not enough or I'm too much. Those, those ones tend to be pretty, I think, pretty prevalent in the clients that I work with. The I'm not enough means that we have to perform all the time to be enough. And so we need to really stack up a lot of proof so that people know we are, in fact, enough, which means we always need to be busy, right? Um, okay. And that's one that I struggled with a lot was uh, if I'm not enough, it means I need to prove it. Right. And so how do I prove that on a daily basis? And that's not really a helpful thing. And it leaves us exhausted uh, because ultimately that's not ours to prove. The other side of that is for the people who believe they're too much. Right. And so when we believe we're too much, we're always holding ourselves back. We're always saying, yep, if I really were the full potential of who I am, it would be too much for people and I wouldn't be loved. And so what I need to do is just always dial that back. Um, And so with messages like that, we'll start to see I don't deserve success or um, I shouldn't have this. And and so those kind of core beliefs that we have really end up driving our life and how we view success even. Have you heard I'm broken a lot as well? Yeah, I have heard that. What do you say to someone who has that? Like, what is that one about? Because it's interesting to me that the other two are almost opposite, right, of each other. Where does the I broken kind of come from, that that source? Well, I love that you asked that because the I'm broken is really at the bottom of all of this, right? At, at mm-hmm. the bottom of all of these beliefs is the belief that we're broken. Um, and so when I hear that from people, I just, I just want to love them where they're at because I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling of just feeling like you're so broken, nobody could love you. And and the thing is, is that we have to normalize that a bit because we're all broken. Um, mm. And that's the beauty of it. That's actually where we meet each other if we allow that. And so what happens is we, we feel like we're broken. We feel like we're the only one, which is a lot of times what happens is we isolate. And in that isolation, that belief only gets stronger and more limiting. And so when I hear a client say that, what I try to do initially is just normalize that because that is really central to our humanity is that we all feel that way at times. And so if we all feel that way, it's actually more unifying than it is isolating. And what do we do with that? And so I try to empower them to see that that doesn't mean they have to be alone, but that actually can Mm -hmm. connect us if we let it. so interesting you brought up that isolation piece, Jason, because as I read your book, that was a thread I saw interwoven throughout everything that a lot of how our past can present present day damage and pain is the isolation piece. 
how we isolate ourselves from others, or we feel like our circumstances isolate ourselves from others. And that a lot of us healing and being able to get past our past is through connection. And that can be really scary when these beliefs, all the ones that we've just gone through, as well as many others, kind of keep wanting you to believe that you're the only one or that uh, you need to be away from other people, that you'll never be okay. And I was just curious how you feel like connection is a big part of the healing factor a lot of people may miss in terms of the past and healing from it and working through it. Yeah, really connection is the secret to healing. Um, That's the thing that we really need if we're going to get there. And the reason for that um, is it's in community and in connection that we start to see that we're not so different and that we can actually be loved as we are. And so what happens is we bring all this, what we feel is very, uh, you know, a lot of evidence that we should believe what we believe. And in community, we start to challenge that, right? So if we have a belief about I'm not enough or I'm too much, but we start to develop real community and connection, that begins to get challenged. And so the beliefs have to change. And so the real secret to transforming your life is to have a community that supports you doing that and sees you as you really are. And in being seen as you really are, you realize that you are in fact unique, but you're not the only one. And so in that space, uh, it actually empowers us to start to make some changes and see things differently. So a large part of the healing process is that trying to reconnect with yourself and actually your true self, not these rot identities that are formed on those beliefs about our past and who we are, as well as connection with others. And is it being able to have the vulnerability to share about your past and work through it with others, or is it about this vulnerability of trying to build a new identity? I know that's really a complex question, but that's really something that's top of mind for me as I'm like working through this is how does connection play into the identity work and what people actually do with it? Yeah, you have to lean into vulnerability. And and so if we really want to be known as we are, we we have to be vulnerable with people, but we need to practice qualifying the right people. So being vulnerable is a wonderful thing, but being vulnerable with anybody all the time uh, is going to lead mm-hmm. us to get hurt. And so vulnerability is great, uh, but some of us need to learn how to qualify the people we're vulnerable with and to make sure that they are actually safe people. Um, and the reason that we do that is because um, those are the people who are actually cheering for us. They're the ones that want us to be who we are. And by the way, typically know who we are anyway, right? I've gotten the privilege of working with so many clients who say, um, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to admit who I really am. And I'm going to talk about this feeling that I've had, or I'm going to talk about this thing that I want. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my spouse. And I'm just so nervous. And we talk through it and they go home, they tell their spouse and they say, hey, this is how I've been feeling. And so many times the spouse just goes, oh yeah, no, I figured that. Yeah, I was, I was pretty sure that's what you thought. Uh, because the deal is, is like, a lot of times we think we're doing a better job of pretending than we are. And the people yeah. who love us best see right through it. They're just like, I don't know why mm-hmm. you have to make it complicated, but okay. I just love who you really are minus all that stuff. Like you don't even have to do all that for me. So having a safe person and safe people is a big part of this this whole process. What would you say to people who struggle to even name who those people are? And maybe a large part of it is because they've held back from that vulnerability piece, even with the people who live in their own households, that they have a hard time being able to, to name people. Yeah, that's really tough. And sometimes we come from a background where the people who are supposed to be safe in our life weren't. 
right? We, we should have had yeah. that and we didn't. And so that can lead us to really feel like, man, where do I even get started on this? And so what I'll tell people is that the chances are there's safe people in your life already, um, but we want to just work up okay. to vulnerability with them. So uh, a mistake that I see people make often is they decide, okay, I want to be vulnerable. I want to share who I really am, what I really feel or what I need. Um, and I'm just going to go do all of that with this person. I've just selected this one person. They're my lucky person and I'll do it. Um, and that person is either not ready or they're unwilling or they don't have the capacity to meet them there. And then what the person says is, see, this is why I don't do that. Right. Uh -huh. This is why I'm not vulnerable because I put everything out to this one person and it didn't work. And so I'm not going to do that again. And so what I would do instead is just say, um, we can try this out. I, I talk to clients a lot mm -hmm. about kind of having three levels of depth. Um, and so the first level of depth is, is probably just things that we'd share with about anybody. Right. So that's, um, you know, some of our interests and talk about the weather. And it's kind of our small talk, if you will. The second level is things that we'd share with someone that we know that we interact with frequently, right? So we, we tell them some truths. And then the third level of depth is our most inner circle, right? Where we talk about our hopes and our dreams and our fears. And so what we want to do is we test out vulnerability is start from one and work to three, not start from three and go to one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You don't jump into three, say it didn't work. So now I'm back to one with everybody. Um, it's, right. it's building up to it. That's so helpful. Thanks for sharing that. You, you talked about a couple ways to start in addition to going through those levels of vulnerability with people and working on the beliefs. It, are there any other things that you think people who especially are finding their past and their patterns of their past are coming up for them, ways that they can get started on working through it? Yeah, it's just noticing and being honest with yourself about where you feel like it's getting in the way. So oftentimes we distract ourselves from what we know to be a regularly occurring problem. Um, we just, we say it's something else or we say it's someone else. And so, I mean, it's a simple thing that's hard to do, but really the first step is we have, we have to be honest about where we're getting stuck and start okay. to get curious about why that is. So if we say, oh, every time I have conflict with my spouse, I notice this happens. Um, okay, well, my question is, what, what's your role in that? Um, where do you think that comes from? And then what questions should you ask to start to change how that works? And so it's really being honest. It's getting curious. And then number three would probably be just asking for help. Um, and you might not know who to ask, but just even asking in the general direction, right? So you might mm -hmm. just even ask someone, you know, hey, I'm struggling in my relationship. What, who would you talk to? Or do you know someone that could speak to that? Or have you had this problem? But starting just to ask for some help and get other people involved in that is really important. Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. If you love the episodes where I let my hair down a little, like those messy middles, or when I have my husband, Brad, on, or even my podcast manager, Taylor, then you will love my new private premium podcast, More Personal. In it, I lean into the personal side of personal development, all ad-free. We have these periodic series where we do book reports. We have casual conversations about not so casual topics. We also do honest reviews and deep dives. Speaking of which, we recently had a very popular deep dive on Rachel Hollis, her rise and some would say her fall. 
I'm also about to release a conversation that my podcast manager, Taylor, and I had all about aging and where we're at with that and what we think about cosmetic procedures. If you want to hear the more personal side of personal development, all you need to do is to become a supporter of About Progress. Supporters at the Bestie and Ride or Die levels get access to more personal and so much more, including our online meetups that we have every other month and a private workshop that we're having coming up soon for the Ride or Dies. You can check it all out by going to aboutprogress.com support. And just so you know, supporters literally keep our lights on. The show and the work that is connected to it cannot continue without you. To check it all out, again, go to aboutprogress.com support. You know, I often speak about how women must do habits differently. And one of the biggest reasons why is simply biology. In other words, hormones. Our hormones are a real factor to how we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally, and they constantly change day to day and year to year as we age. My friends warned me that the hormone roller coaster gets harder as we get older, and they were right. From worse PMS to more aggravating period symptoms to all the things that come with perimenopause and menopause. If you're wanting help with that hormone roller coaster, I want you to check out today's sponsor, Happy Mammoth, and their supplement, Hormone Harmony, a bottle of which is sold every 24 seconds with over 17,000 reviews. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. And here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible perimenopause and menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas, and so much more. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of those things. If you want to feel more like yourself, make sure you go to Happy Mammoth and find Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code PROGRESS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code PROGRESS for 15% off today. I was wondering if you could tell us a story that you shared in your book about you going on this marriage retreat with your wife. And I'm just chuckling because I'm imagining this happening to all of us. Like you're finally on this retreat, just you two, you're supposed to be like enjoying each other and working on your marriage, but you have an explosive fight. And then what came of that? Could you share that with us a little bit? Yeah, that was not in the itinerary. So that was not what I signed up for. Um, I, I signed up for this marriage retreat and it was really the first time we'd, we'd had kids. And so now they were getting to an age where we could do something like this. And so had all the expectations, right? And then it was led by two people that I really admire and respect, but didn't know all that well. And so there's kind of this added pressure of, you know, I need to go, but I can't be too vulnerable and I need to kind of perform. And if I were perfect and really impressed everybody, that'd just be a bonus. And so Mm -hmm. no pressure, right? And so go to this retreat um, and we're kind of participating and there's a break and we just get we get into a conflict based really on a lot of conflict that just hadn't been resolved. And so it's sort of like yeah. this powder keg uh, and everyone else is swimming and like eating nachos and we're fighting in the cabin, you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, man. Um, and it, it got it got to the point where uh, I was just like, I'm so stuck. I don't know what to do. 
yeah, I just don't know what to do. Um, and so maybe, maybe I need to sleep downstairs or maybe I need to do something different that way. So, which was pretty serious for us. Um, sleeping downstairs means sleeping on our Murphy bed. Uh, and that thing's got like a lot of springs. And so, boy, that was like a serious thing. Um, and so then we had to go back to the retreat. And as we're headed back to the retreat, what happens is I run into these two people I really respect and admire. And they, in the nicest, most genuine way possible, just said, how's it going? And I had this decision to make in that moment of, am I going to perform? Am I going to try to put myself out there as being perfect or having it all figured out? Or I'm going to level with them and be honest. And they had been people who had proven many, many times that it was okay to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just said, hey, here's where we're actually at. Uh, it hasn't been all nachos and fun for us. And that really was a catalyst for a lot of change in my marriage. And we've we've made so many improvements since then that we would not have made had I not been willing to to just engage at that point. I like that you're also sharing the qualifier of these being people you you knew you could trust and and how important that was to the to the puzzle, but also even just the the vulnerability of 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 one as a therapist and someone who's talking in a in a book about getting past your past, how you're like, I had an explosive fight with my wife at a marriage retreat. And I was like, that's the kind of person I would want to work with. Someone who who knows what this is like and isn't perfect all the time. And that's where I want to ask you about perfectionism with past and and working through it. And, you know, you, you, you it's just like the levels of vulnerability with others. You have this level of healing, too, and how it, it doesn't seem it's ever going to be like you're totally arrived and you're totally healed. But I'm curious about what you think the tangle is of also making space for even your healing to go well or to be perfect or for you to never go back to past patterns. What's that kind of perfectionism? How is that playing into all of this? Yeah, a lot of times it's still one of those sneaky core wounds kind of coming up, right? And so it's like, uh, well, I'll heal, but I even need to heal in the right way. And so I just love those clients because I was one of them, even in my own process where I was going to nail therapy, right? So I had my own therapist and I was going to like do all the things and read all the books and journal the way I'm supposed to journal and just be like a model student. Um, and some of that is me. Like I really like to do a good job. Some of that is me, but there's not actually that sense of urgency and stress around it. And so I think when we're feeling that, what we're actually needing most is just space and that space mm. allows us to grow. And so what I'll do with clients is just kind of remind them to like slow down and that all the beautiful stuff is the stuff that comes from just doing the work, um, but that's unexpected and not predictable. And so our job, if we actually want to do it, you know, in the best way possible, you know, if you, if you want to say that, is just to be present. Like if you really want to do that, you just be present and you acknowledge that uh, that's, that's all you need to do. It's just that simple. And sometimes that's a gift that I'm allowed and able to give people they've never had before is just space to say like, oh, it can be messy. Like it can just be yeah. messy and you can come here and not have done the thing and not know the answer. Uh, and that's okay. And I, I think when we have a lot of drive to be perfect, what really is the, is the thing or the origin of that is not having that in our childhood, right? Is having this sense in our childhood that we always had to perform um, and so mm -hmm. sometimes the best thing we can do is give ourselves and the people around us who might be struggling with that just space to be. 
you know, um, you can come in and have a coffee stain on your shirt and uh, like, we're just going to talk like everything will be fine. And you can say something that you say later. Well, I don't think that. And like, that's okay. So I think sometimes what we need most with people who are struggling with perfectionism is just space to actually be who they are. My community knows this well. A big part of why we're here is my own struggles with perfectionism, starting with recovering from eating disorders in my early 20s. And I was like you with with therapy. You know, I was like, so I'm going to do everything they tell me to do and I'm going to do it perfectly. I'm going to heal really fast. But things got a lot worse than they got better. And it actually took me probably a decade to really feel like I was like, oh, I've actually changed. Like for a whole decade, I, I felt like I wasn't. But I was. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because my first therapist was like, this will be a problem you have for a long time. And I'm sure other people hearing that would have just give them such this sense of gloom and doom. It actually gave me hope. It made me feel like, oh, it's okay that I'm a mess right now. It's okay that I'm not better yet, but it doesn't mean I'm not getting better. So knowing that it's okay, we're a mess. I also would love to hear about the hope piece because that that is what helped me get through those 10 years is the hope that it would get there. I, I would get there eventually. And you have worked with so many amazing and different people. You have worked with victims and perpetrators. And to me, that's such an interesting dynamic and perspective that you have as a therapist. And I think you can speak to this hope piece there on on all sides of this table like what does this look like then is is healing ultimately possible and what does it look like on the other side i always tell clients healing is definitely possible and there's hope otherwise i'd have the worst job in the world i'm like if there wasn't i would totally quit <laughs> yeah that would be such a bad job um so yes there always is but it is a process and like you said it just actually the process is just living our life and so just kind of realizing like getting better is is just like the goal of living. Like we're just still trying to improve and figure things out. And the people who love us best love us even in the messiness. Like they might say like, oh man, that is, oof, that is a lot or that is really messy, but I still love you anyway. Um, and you're okay. And so for me, just getting to see, yeah, like you said, anywhere from someone coming out of prison to someone who's been a victim to someone who runs a Fortune 500 company, the thing that I see over and over again is if you're willing to show up and be you, it'll get better. It'll get better. I often talk to therapists that I supervise and I just say, you know, the thing is, is that uh, if you love people where you're at, it's not even about knowing all the right modalities or interventions. It's just about meeting people there. And so if we show up as just who we are and we're willing, like life is going to get better no matter what. It, it might take a while to get to the mountaintop that you've identified as your mountaintop, but it doesn't mean there won't be a lot of them along the way. Hmm. Oh, that gives me, like I said, the hope I needed, but also just the focus. Like, yeah, I'm going to do the work, but I'm also going to just focus on my day-to-day -day life and just, you know, believing in that process as well as being present. I like that that really works against perfectionism. I can remember that whenever I feel perfectionistic, I can work on being present. 
So with this, Jason, I'm going to just hold up your book real quick. I want to make sure we're encouraging people to check this out. And I want to hear from you why you felt like it was time to write this. And if there's anything that surprised you about both the writing process and now as it's come out into the world, what you're hearing about it that may have surprised you. I think I've wanted to do this for a long time. Uh, I talked to uh, a lot of people about how I've always thought I was going to be a therapist. So like at age eight, I was journaling about being a therapist and writing a book, which is, you know, if you're journaling at age eight about that, you you probably are going to be a therapist, you know? So uh, my my path was clear, but um, the process was complicated. And so I ended up here. And I think coming out of COVID, I just really felt like people need to hear this. Um, And I think increasingly, Mm -hmm. we are all struggling to some extent with some of this stuff. And so what if I could give that information to people, um, not as a replacement for therapy, but as an on-ramp that was affordable and accessible. And so that was kind of, for me, the genesis or the catalyst for why I wanted to do that. Now, what I learned in the writing process, if I'm being really transparent and honest, is it activated all my perfectionist stuff, right? So Mm The first thing I did was like, I'm going to map out the perfect book and I'm going to work on it and it'll take like 20 years to write and, and it'll be amazing. <laughs> and it'll hit the New York Times, you know, right the first day. Um, and so I actually found in doing that, that like some of that stuff was still there. Um, and so mm-hmm. for me, it just kind of launched me into, I don't ever want to be a hypocrite intentionally. And so I'm like, well, I need to do some more work around this. So started to write the book, kept doing some more work. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if that's what I anticipated, but here we are. Um, and then I put the book out. And I think what I've been hearing from people is that they feel like it just meets them where they're at. And to me, that's yeah. probably the biggest compliment that I could get. Uh, I'm like, that is truly for me. The goal is I'm kind of a therapist that picks on other therapists because I'm like, how do you actually do that? And when we say do the work, like, what does that actually mean? And so yes. I've been hearing people feel like, oh, it's practical. It's a, it's a quick read. Um, And it helped me to kind of get some direction and clarity. I'm like, that's all good stuff for me. So I like that. I'd also add, I think it's appropriately lighthearted in ways that it needs to be. So meaning you're not going to read this and feel like you're reading a master's thesis on all these modalities because you're not trying to become a therapist. You're just trying to work on that on-ramp, like you said, to your own healing. and And it provides that. So thank you for that. I thought it was really, really great. I always like to end our interviews by asking about one doable way that listeners can get started on what they learned today. So what would you suggest? What I would suggest is if you're listening to this episode, maybe just taking a second and just asking yourself, what is the thing from my past that keeps coming up and getting in the way of my happiness today? Hmm. And just maybe take 30 seconds or a minute and reflect on that um, because it will all have a thing, right? That is pretty universal that something will come up. And then the next question I would ask you to consider is just, what, if anything, do I need to do about that? Okay. What's the if anything And maybe it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you say, say, you know what? Um, I notice that occasionally um, this thing shows up, uh, but it's pretty minimal and I don't mind. Um, Or I, I notice this thing comes up and it actually leads to a lot of conflict or a lot of discontentment or, you know, so sometimes I think people are, Uh, just okay with whatever the thing is. And if they're okay, I'm okay. Uh, But I think these are really important questions to ask ourselves. And it also goes back to what you said initially, you know, just noticing, just being able to notice where you're stuck. Because a lot of times it's just the awareness that really helps the most. 
Jason, I would love to send people to anywhere online that you'd like them to come and join in your community. So where should they go? Yeah, you can find, I'm on um, most of the social media platforms as jason.vanruler. Instagram is a place that I post a lot of stuff on daily or even twice daily sometimes about just relationships and connection and how to do that. And then my website is jasonvr.com and it talks a little bit more about the work that I do as a therapist and coach and workshops and all that good stuff. We'll be sure to link to all of that in our show notes. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today with us. Hey, this was fantastic. I appreciate you having me on. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants you need to grow. I hope you will take advantage of that do something challenge that Jason gave us at the end. And I really love talking to him. His book is great. I highly recommend it. If you are looking for a launching place to deal with your past in ways that are helpful and also hopeful. This show is listener supported. You can learn more about the levels of support starting at just $2 a month and the special benefits they receive by going to aboutprogress.com support. You can always support this show for free by simply leaving a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.